0: Wherever you get
1: your podcasts.
0: Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 58. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with. Today's guest is Jamie Durham. Jamie lives in Tijuana, Mexico with her family, and for them, picking up new books to read means a trip across the border. Jamie's an ISTJ with diverse tastes. Her favorites are all over the map, but the book she hates is one many of you have been begging us to feature in that segment of the podcast. It's a lot of fun. Let's get to it. Jamie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So you are another one of our international guests. Tell us a little bit about where you are.
1: My family and I live in Tijuana, Mexico, which is just on the Pacific coast of the Baja Peninsula of Mexico. If you drive south to San Diego and cross the border, you'll get to our house in about 20 minutes.
0: Where did you live before you lived in Tijuana?
1: So I've been here for about 14 years, which is crazy. Um,
0: in my mind, I pay up the wazoo to get the books you want <laughs> when you want to get them. So you're yeah. close to the border, but how does living where you live and doing what you do affect your reading life?
1: We do live pretty close to the border. And um, luckily, the San Diego library system is pretty amazing. And so um, I was able to get a library account with them. And uh, they have a great website where you can go online and get reserve any book and then choose which branch you send that book to and then they alert you when the book is there and then you have you know a set amount of time before they shelve it back if you don't show up and so we have a little tiny library branch in this tiny old little building just across the border when you cross like the first exit and so we're now known as the family that picks up books or the family that checks out books at that library as if that's like a unique activity (laughs) that you do at a library I don't know like I'm like, does it people not do that? I don't get it.
0: That is amazing. That is not what I expect you to say. Do you have to really prioritize? Do you have limits on how many books you can request? Yes.
1: Oh my gosh. And I have begged my husband to get his own account because not only do I like right now, for example, not only do I reserve books for myself, but I reserve books for our kids. Um, we and you can your kid can have an account, but it's under your account, so it doesn't increase the amount of books mm-hmm. you can. Get.
0: All right. I have a question. Yeah. So. That sounds kind of like a drag that you have to be so careful, and yet I can see how your access to books being so precious, and I mean by American, you know, yeah, standards yeah. where I'm talking about the library out of my house, and you have this great system that's across the border, but not terribly difficult to access. Um, So it's all relative, but like, you have to be very purposeful about your books and you can't just read so much at whim. You have to plan and, you know, has that Mm -hmm. had positive effects in your reading life?
1: You know, I think or is it just a drag? You could say that. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Well, I don't know anything different. Right. So. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely a frugal person. So I think even if I had access to bookstores, I mean, I'm, I might go the whole like, uh, I actually enjoy thrift storing and one of my favorite books, which I haven't read in a long time, but I found it on a, a bookstore a thrift book, like Goodwill shelf. And it was like, Oh, I can't believe they have this book. You know, is it one of your favorites today? No, no, it's not. It was okay, actually then tell us what it is. It, um, it was, it's a book about, um, community development and like holistic development. And I didn't even know the book existed. I just knew in my mind, I wanted to read something about this topic. Mm-hmm. And so I was just looking at it. It was like, literally like, this is a book of all these essays of all these people who have done this work. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is sitting in front of me. So that was really cool. So I think if I had access, to bookstores or you know secondhand bookstores I would go there but I I'm so frugal um I I know there's a thing about owning a book and having a book but for me because of the nature of our lifestyle I mean if God says go we're gonna go and I don't like ebooks having a bunch of books to create around the world eh, isn't my biggest like joy in life because then you'd
0: have to move the books so you and your husband are with it's youth with a mission right
1: Yes, that's right. We are with Youth of a Mission, uh, just across the border here in Tijuana. Um, the program that our, our location is best known for is called Homes of Hope. Um, and it's a house building ministry where we have groups come from all over the world, mainly North America and Canada, but we have groups from other places too. Um, and they come build homes um, in two or three days for families that um, go through a process to apply. And just recently, uh, we celebrated 25 years of that ministry. Um, and I think we've built over 5,000 homes around the world. So this this program has now been gifted to other uh, locations around the world. So there are Homes of Hope being built in Central America. We have some in Uganda, um, Southeast Asia. Uh, So, yeah, it's been really neat to be a part of that. But we also do um, training. We partner with local churches and other organizations, humanitarian efforts. And then there's the whole, like, admin operational side of things to make sure everything runs behind the scenes. So
0: So you all have been in Tijuana for a long time, but that's not necessarily the way it's always going to be.
1: No, you know, and that's really interesting because we feel like this is our home. I mean, it is our home, right? All of our kids have grown up here. One of our kids was born here. Um, but we're always open to the next thing. But we don't have that sense of there is a next thing right now. Like we're super excited about what's going on here and um, what we're involved in and, in the future.
0: Where does reading fit into that life situation?
1: Well, I just tell people I have no life. So I just read books. <laughs> <laughs> that is the dream for
0: so many people. Okay, new life goals.
1: Uh, yeah, to have no life. No, uh, Well, I am an introvert. I'm an ISTJ which is funny. My husband's had a lot of training recently on um, like Myers-Briggs and disc profiles. And he came home with this booklet and he's like, this one has like the best descriptions of each Myers-Briggs profile. And I was like, okay. And so I was flipping through it. I read through ISTJ and I got like, not even like two paragraphs in. And I looked at him. I'm like, so basically I'm just Dwight Schrute, just all about like rules and compliance and getting things done and being in order and having no grace for anybody making mistakes. And I'm like, wow, I'm an awful person. (laughs) So anyways, I'm a I'm a very I'm a very private, modest person and I'm I'm an introvert living in an extrovert world in many ways and shapes and forms. So books really have become are the const, one constant thing that I know that I can go to that is always there and doesn't change. You know? It's kinda like why you like doing dishes at the end of the day. They don't talk back to you. Like you can go to a book and you know it's gonna be there and it's always gonna be what it was before mm-hmm. and it'll be what it is when you're done. You might have a different experience reading it, but you know that it's It'll take you along the same path, I guess.
0: I like it. I'm wondering if we are going to see those personality elements you referred to in (laughs) your favorites. We shall see. Jamie, what do you want more of in your reading life? Because it sounds like you have a very vibrant reading life. I do. But you know, with your magic wand, what would you like to be different?
1: I think, and I kind of feel like I'm being nudged toward this. I think I want to attempt the classics again. I don't think I want to go back as far as like ancient Rome and ancient Greece, but I think... I kind of want to attempt the Victorian and English classics again, but I'm kind of scared because my first year of high school, my English class as a freshman kind of put a bad taste in my mouth regarding that whole category of literature, which is actually a big tragedy now that I look at it. The first book that we attempted that my teacher assigned in freshman year, high school English was Great Expectations, Yep. like out of the gate. And honestly, I really think that's the only class I ever fell asleep in in high school was that (laughs) class. And it's so sad because I love learning. I love literature. And the rest of my high school English classes were amazing. Like to this day, top of my high school experience, we did the things we carried house on mango street, their eyes were watching God, like all these amazing, like not really traditional works of literature, but like super engaging and relevant. And I just kind of was over like, all, I mean, I, I have confession to make, we can now longer, no longer be friends. I've never read any Jane Austen. Like I've never read like any, or even like going like Tolstoy, any of those things. Like I've never, those things. Huh,
0: Look great. right now, I'm just really glad you weren't forced to read either one in high school, or we'd be having <laughs> this conversation about Pride and Prejudice.
1: I know. I, well, and plus I'm kind of a really like straightforward person. So the whole like romance side of those things, I'm like, really? really come on. get with it. <laughs> So, I have no, there's back to my Dwight shrewdness. I have no like grace for that type of stuff. So that's one thing. Another thing I would love to try some type of Spanish literary work on good days. I would consider myself fluent in Spanish. I can translate, I can interpret, I can have conversations, but I learned all the language or, um, audibly. And so I can converse really well, but I still have a hard time reading. Like I, I can read like, you know, science and stuff, but like reading actual, books, I often have to read out loud, like to get it to really connect with the meaning, or it just takes a really long time. But I know that so much of a culture can be learned by reading the authors of that culture. Um, And I really love, um, I love Sarah Addison Allen. So I'm totally a fan of like the um, magic realism and that whole thing. And I know a lot of that comes into like Latin American work. Um, I had, I think I read Chronicle of a Death Foretold, and I liked it. So I think, but I think I would need something that was like easily accessible, not like, you know, 300 pages. I mean, like I could get through in a a week or so. And then I would love something about Christmas, but not Charles Dickens because I can't go there. So.
0: Okay. Well, I love that you have a list. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. (laughs) We will take it under consideration. Okay. When we make our bullet pointed, highly strategic assessment of what you should read next. Jamie, you know how this works. Yes. You are going to tell me three books you love, one Mm -hmm. book you hate, and what (laughs) you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Okay. Okay. Let's start with your favorites. Tell me Mm -hmm. three books you love.
1: I would say um, Pillars of the Earth and World Without End by Ken Follett, and I also really loved his um, Century Trilogy as well.
0: Are you a fan of the genre in general?
1: I am. I love historical fiction, especially um, like centered around the major wars, like World Wars or even the Civil War. Um, I know that the last book in the Century Trilogy covered the Cold War, which I kind of felt was like, really? But I mean, it made sense with history. But really, it's more World War One, World War II. And I, I like Civil War era.
0: Okay, so I loved Ken Follett when I was like late teens, like Mm -hmm. high school and early college, but Mm -hmm. I haven't read him since. And I always wonder, like, I remember Pillars of the Earth. It was the first major historical novel I read, which set Mm -hmm. me off a trail of reading like Mm -hmm. Leon Uris and whoever wrote The Agony and the Ecstasy, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I haven't read him since. And I wonder what I would think about it if I read it today. So are these recent reads for you? And do you think I'd still be impressed?
1: Um, I haven't read them. This year, um, uh, but I would say in the last three or four years, I read them. Well, the the last book in the Century Trilogy came out when my daughter was like a few days old. Well, not came out. It came on my holds list, like it was available at the library. Um And so I read that one probably in the last two years and I actually have a picture of me holding her as like a tiny newborn and the book. And, <laughs> and I they're think, probably like, about the same size. <laughs> no, I literally, the caption is, you know, it's a good, something like, you know, it's a good day when your book is the size of your infant newborn or something like that. <laughs> like they were literally like about the same size. I think I read Pillars of the Earth. My mother-in-law actually gave it, introduced me to it because Pillars of the Earth is the first one, right? Yeah. So she introduced me to it. Um, which was kind of intimidating because it was right after we got married, we were actually living at her house for a few months. And, um, she's, she was a brilliant woman, Loved to read. And I just married her youngest son and she's like, here, this is my favorite book and put it in my hands. And I'm like, Oh, no pressure. So <laughs> luckily I loved it. So that kind of has like a real sentimental connection too. Cause she passed away about six years ago. So like the fact that she gave me that book and now it like, and I, I don't love it just because of that reason, like there's more permanence to it, mm-hmm. but yeah, that kind of makes it special too. Mm-hmm.
0: I would actually like to revisit that. So, Ken, I haven't read the Century. Is it a trilogy
1: now? Yeah, it's a trilogy. So, it's it's not connected at all to his The Pillars of the Earth and World Without End. Um, But it follows, I think, it's five families from five different countries or regions in Europe through World War I, World War II and the Cold War. So it's the generations. So the people that you get introduced in the first book become like the parents and the grandparents in the second book and then those, you know, kids grow up and um, and it just tr- it traces through all the major historical events and the battles and the behind the scenes thing they happen to be at, you know, this place when this thing happens and he does a really good job of explaining how he weaves fiction with hi- um, like historical fact so that one doesn't dilute or uh, distort the other. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really good.
0: Okay. So on the whole, do you like novels that can be described with words like epic and sweeping and saga? Because Follett totally writes those.
1: Yeah. Except if it has to do with a lot of romance, then I'm like, nah, not so much. I read, um, uh, overseas by Beatrice Williams recently, which I think was her first one, uh, which you can totally tell is her first one. And And like by the middle of the book, any paragraph that started with, his chiseled brow. I was like, and eh, next paragraph. Like I just could not that I don't I just I'm like I don't need I don't need it. Like I'm I'm done. On with the next story. So. <laughs>
0: on to the next. Okay, on to the next. Jamie, okay. what's book 2?
1: Okay. book 2 is Columbine by Dave Cullen.
0: Yes. Yes. That is a change of pace. Okay.
1: A little bit. <laughs> Tell us more. I picked this book because this book has has stuck with me. My younger sister I have to give her a big shout out for this book. Uh, she was in college studying psychology and criminal justice. I was visiting my parents. I we I, I might have been married. I don't. I don't think I had any kids, but I might have been recently married. And um, I was. I would peruse her bookshelf and look at all the books she was, you know, had for her courses, and it was things like, you know, child abuse and criminal justice and psychology of serial killers. And I kind of, I I relate a lot with the highly sensitive person scale. And so I'm like, and I'm not touching any of those books. But one day she literally like forced this book into my hand and said, you have to read this and gave me the book Columbine. And I am so glad she did because that book is just, I think it's just like a landmark for a lot of reasons. I was, I remember where I was and what I was doing when I heard about the Columbine shooting. I was a junior in high school and I was just getting out of, um, uh, driver's ed. So I was walking from a little portable and down and across in front of the gym. And I overheard some kids talking about like shooting in a school and kids with guns. And I didn't really know, like, is this, it can't be happening here because this is normal, like nothing weird is happening at our school right now. So I got in the van with my mom and she didn't say anything to me, which is really odd. She's a very outgoing lady. So she always would welcome me. Hi, how was your school? And she had the radio on, which she hardly ever did. And so she just literally turned the radio up when I got in the car. And I started hearing about what was going on. And later that week or whatever, going to youth group. And it was almost like the whole world had just like tilted on its axis. You know, it was like this new reference point that everybody had. It was one of those moments. Like you remember where you were with, like when Kennedy was shot, when the Cubs just won the world series, when man walked on the moon, like you remember where you were when that happened. And I feel like it was such a defining moment for my I wouldn't say generation, but my, my graduating class of high school, that was at the end of, it was the spring of my junior year. So going into my senior year, everything just seemed different. Like you, you tried not to give into that fear and that questioning and, you know, like all those things that, that tragedy brought to the surface. Um, And then just things were different in the school in general, you know, they had to take things into consideration and visitors and all that type of stuff. So, yeah, so I, I, I read the book years later, and I was kind of shocked and a little bit offended and surprised. (laughs) Yes, it was still a very tragic thing, but there were certain key, I guess, legends or urban legends that came out of that tragedy that got promoted as this is what happened and this is, you know, this tragic hero and this other person did this amazing thing and this... And it really wasn't that at all. So it was a very sobering read. So he's really meticulous in his research, but not in a way that takes away from the pace of the story. I think he was a, one of the like journalists. Yeah. Have you read the book?
0: No. Okay, and I, I, it's because I'm terrified. Well, I've read chunks of the middle. Okay. I've not read the beginning. Um, yeah. I thought really hard about reading it. So I feel like I've researched the book, yeah. which yeah, is yeah, itself yeah. like a masterpiece yeah. of research. Yeah. But I'm very intrigued by what I've heard about it because yeah. I've heard how he basically dismantles your understanding of what actually happened. Yes. If your experience was during the one month when it got intense news coverage. Yes. That's not actually what happened. And then yes. he talks about the role of media in mm-hmm. society and in our understanding of current events and yeah. that seems especially timely right now.
1: It is. And I so I think he was like a a journalist, yeah. Like there. Uh, Or at least he had, like, very intimate access to what was going on during the time. I don't think he – it happened and then later on he was like, oh, I'm going to investigate that. I think he had, like, personal interaction while it was happening. But when I was thinking about this book, I think one of the things that really kind of took the rug out from underneath me is that he made everybody human, whether it was a police officer or a teacher or one of the perpetrators or one of the victims. Like, they all became human. And as the reader, I started to see, like, wow, you know, these – these people aren't these great heroes or these great villains. They're humans who made or had horrible things made choices, you know? And of course it's not to justify or to excuse any behavior or to, you know, glorify any behavior. It just really made you realize, wow, these people are human.
0: Okay. So for sensitive souls, I like myself who yeah. wish, I mean, I wish I had already had the experience of reading it in the past tense and that I mm-hmm. knew in detail mm. the things about it that intrigued me like about, yeah. about, the media and the events and the yeah. implications. Yeah. But I feel like I need reassurance.
1: With the first set of books set of books, haha, I broke the rules. Uh with <laughs> Ken Follett stuff, there's a lot of like war and guts and you know arms slicing off with the blood spurting up. Oh, and with it's those not it's squeaky like, clean. Yeah. No, not at all. But honestly, I would skip a lot of those things. Like I would, I would, I, if it was leading into like any sort of war scene, I would kind of go like, skip, 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 skip. Oh, there's the end of the war. And then if I started reading, I'm like, wait, this person's dead. What happened? And then I'd go back and like, oh, okay, they got killed and they're good. Okay, we're good now. Let's go on. You know, so I would, I would, I often skip those chunks um, just because I do. I, 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 I'm, I score, I relate very strongly to that portion of the HSP personality, mm-hmm. the staying away from the gruesome kind mm-hmm. of. Type stuff, but with Columbine, um, I mean, there he. It's been uh, quite a few years since I've read it, but I more than being having a shock factor of oh my gosh, look at this horrible like whatever. When he gets to the actual like um, playing out of what happened there, I don't I don't remember if he goes like minute by minute or how it happens, but um, it, it's yes, he talks about the students who were killed and the teachers who were killed and what the the two boys did who who came and committed all the crimes. You're so invested in them as humans that you almost are reading it not with compassion but more with understanding. So it does talk – and it's not gratuitous at all. Um, He doesn't go for the shock factor. He goes more for – he uses – whenever he talks about the violence, he does it in context of helping you understand what actually happened. Um, so you're not waving it in your face, like, look at all these horrible things that happened. So does, that, does that reassure you at all? <laughs> you can always skip <laughs> those really. parts and just keep reading. Because, I mean, I think that's what, that's what people know about it, right? People know about the tragedy and the violence and the goriness and the film footage from the security cameras. But they don't know about their families and they don't know about you know their childhoods. Or they don't know about the teacher and what he did in the classroom. Like all those type of stories that go unnoticed. So you can always just read it for those and get the other perspective, I guess.
0: Have you read A Mother's Reckoning by Susan Klebold? I have not. Okay. Well, it's on my shelf. I haven't opened it for the same reasons. Well, it's called A Mother's Reckoning. It's her reflective look from the mother of one of the attackers at Columbine about what her role in it was, if there's anything she could have done. Um, I have not read it. I'm afraid to open it. But I've heard such wonderful things about it by people who don't usually read that kind of book and who usually stay away from that kind of topic Mm -hmm. so I'm definitely intrigued but how many times have I said I'm scared um that's (laughs) your bonus recommendation
1: okay oh thank you you can always look through like the table of contents and um kind of say okay I can read this chapter because I know it's not about like it might be you know so-and-so's elementary school years or whatever right I don't remember the table of contents and just read those ones and then if it gets too bad you flip to the next chapter that's what I would do
0: okay Jamie what's book
1: three Okay. Uh, book three, it's kind of a personal book. Um, I chose it for personal reasons. Um, I had actually, as you know, I had different books on my list originally.
0: So but I... Aren't all favorites personal though?
1: Okay. Well, okay. Explain yourself, like, Jamie. I feel like this is personal because of where I live and what we do. So, okay. This book is called, um, Border Odyssey travels along the U S Mexico divide. And the author is Charles D Thompson Jr. So, uh, this book is a narrative nonfiction. I think it was written uh, it was published in like 2015, but I think his actual journey happened a few years prior. Um, he mentions, I think, a World Cup, uh, Mexico being in the World Cup. So I tried to look and remember what year that was. But it, luckily, Mexico gets the World Cup a lot. So, OK, so this book is a narrative nonfiction account of Thompson's literal drive across the entire U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, 1,969 miles. He starts in East Texas, I guess, on whatever little border town the east. and he drives all the way across the border. And I think he actually tries to drive on the actual roads that parallel the border, not just the major interstates that get you across the states or across the country, like along those little tiny freeways that go along the border. So each chapter is a different story of what he encounters on both sides of the border. So he crosses in and out of Mexico and back into the U.S. various times. Um, he talks with people in all walks of life and all occupations and then shares what he observes along the way. And what I really liked about it is that he wove, um, the history of the border region as he reached different significant, like markers or historical sites. So if there was like a battle that happened at, you know, some little town on the border, he would, when he got there, um, he had done his research enough to where he could kind of go to the, whatever location. And then retrospectively, as he wrote the book, he expounded on why it was significant, and what the implications were looking forward um, for this border region. He's a professor at, I think, Duke University, and he leads student groups to the U.S.-Mexico border uh, throughout the year as part of like his course curriculum, so they can interact with the actual people like here on the ground who, who, who work with migrants and immigrants and just the whole border context, because it's really different hearing about it and learning about it and building a, an opinion about it versus coming here and living it and seeing the reality of it. And this book just hit so close to home for me. I felt like somebody was finally giving a voice and a face to the people who live here, and not just tossing around like headlines or statistics or scare tactics about this area, and then forming opinions based on those things. Mm-hmm. In the introduction to the book, he asks, he just asks a lot of questions. He doesn't really give answers. I guess the book, huh. the book is probably his answer to his questions. But um, he gives a lot of, he asks a lot of questions that are so fresh and so direct and a completely different. Perspective on the border and on immigration and on poverty and on all these different factors that weigh into this specific region of the world. Um, that I feel like had been that that we that come up in conversation with my friends and people that serve with us here, uh, just because we see it all the time, but we don't we don't see those questions raised in the context of you know mass media or whatever. I, I'm pretty sure I almost like jumped up and cheered. I was like, I can't believe somebody. Realizes what's actually happening, or not, you know, like that has the guts to to ask these questions. So, but it was
0: an in depth treatment of an issue that affects you every day, which is absolutely. yeah, okay, okay. Awesome.
1: And I feel like and I feel like he he treated it as a human issue, not mm-hmm. just as something we need to decide about to make an arbitrary ruling for this thing, you know, which could be applied to any situation. It could be applied to healthcare. It could be applied to education. It could be applied to you know but when you're in it and you live it and you see it it it's a different it's a different totally different thing i think so. And plus, also, I was really jealous because he's like, so I drove into Mexico and spent an hour and then I drove back and then I was back in my hotel, like, you know, later that afternoon. I'm like, oh, yeah, just wait until you come to Tijuana. Maybe like you're never going to whatever. And so I was like, just wait. I was, I was like literally like looking forward to the end of the book when he was going to get to Tijuana and then get stuck in the border for three hours. Yeah, he didn't even cross into Tijuana. And I was like, what? I was like the whole point of the book. I couldn't even. So I was kind of bummed about that. But whatever.
0: <laughs> I am very Sorry.
1: Yeah, it's okay. Okay,
0: while well, you're already kind of bummed. What's uh, the book you hate?
1: Uh, I actually sent you three books, but i only talk about one because you told me, you said you have to keep hating this book. Wait, what were the,
0: what were the runner-ups?
1: Uh, the other two runner-ups, and I think it's interesting, the other two runner-ups were The Nest and then The Awakening of Miss Prim.
0: Yeah, but I didn't want you to change your hate. I wanted you to keep okay. hating your hate because keep so keep... many listeners I think are mm-hmm. going to feel validated by your hate. And that's the book I, know, is, I hate. That's the book it's is, is pl- fun. We can all hate Pulitzer together.
1: Prize, it's a Pulitzer Prize winner, right? Like, I went to go look up last night and I was like, oh my gosh, it's like hating Albert Einstein. Like, I can't believe that I'm hating, right? Like, she won a Pulitzer Prize for this book, didn't she? She did for this oh. book, which is The Goldfinch. <laughs> <laughs> did you read it all? No. How far did That's you my get? disclaimer. But it's a big book. It's like 700 pages.
0: It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. It, it might have been as big as a newborn baby.
1: <laughs> probably bigger. No, she was kind of, she was, she was a good size.
0: So how far did you get?
1: I don't remember. I actually recently, uh, I, I had this stroke of insight. I actually started recently writing down not only the books I don't finish, but like how far I get into them. Oh, that's smart. Just in case later on in my life, I want to come back and revisit. I can get it and just start from that point. I didn't do that with this one, but I, I think I got maybe about a hundred, 100, 150. I got far enough. I don't know if this is a spoiler. Wait, so, that's like, all? Wait, 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 wait. This is, I know, I know, I'm sorry. Maybe this is why I didn't like it, but I got to the part of the book where he was living with like his schoolmate in their house and was like doing drugs and I don't know. That's where I got well into that part of the book. How far is that book part? How far is that? That's not very far. I don't know. I was wondering if you
0: quit in Vegas because I almost quit in Vegas. There's this whole interlude in the middle where he goes to live with his dad, I think, in Las Vegas. And there's a lot, he gets into a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah. No, wait a lot of
0: cocaine, but I think that's, I think it's more than 150 pages. Okay. So there's this rule. It comes from Marshall McLuhan. The medium is the message guy. Yeah. And that is to decide whether or not you're going to like a book mm-hmm. flip to page 69 and start reading. And there's a blog yeah. post about that. We'll put it in show yeah. notes. So I tried that on this book. Cause I do like the page 69 rule, but I okay. flipped it open to page 69 and I got like a big fat, I want to call it a spoiler. I felt like it was a spoiler, but really I'm staring <laughs> at Goodreads right now. Cause it's been a few years since I've read this. It came out uh-huh. three years ago now and um, it's in the description here, but still I wish I hadn't known what we were building to.
1: Yeah. I was reading the description on Amazon. And I'm like, Whoa, this like lists all the major things in the book. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what else is here in the rest of the 700 pages.
0: <laughs> so I had more sympathy for this book once. I mean, I read it. Okay. I, I, appreciated it. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't love it,
1: but I feel like if I kept going, I would have appreciated it because I actually, I totally connected with the beginning of the book and here's, okay, here's why I think I gave up. Okay. So the main character, Theo, he started making some really dumb choices, um, that led to obviously some pretty difficult natural consequences. And I felt like as the reader, I was still expected to have the same level of sympathy for him that I had when the things at the beginning of the book happened that were outside of his control. So some things happen at the beginning of the book that are outside of his control. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is so horrible. Like you, and you have this like reaction and response of empathy and you connect with the, with Theo, but I don't, I guess I just can't expect to have the same level of, compassion and connectedness with a character like that
0: I don't think so I don't think well it does make sense but I don't think that's where she was going for
1: see maybe I just bailed too early then
0: (laughs) well or not soon enough that's also a possibility because I mean it is it's 773 pages yeah I don't know what could have been chopped out of it to shorten it Mm -hmm. down under less than 500 pages range but um I wish something had been it's too long (laughs) Okay, so the first third of the book was, what is happening? The middle third was, please stop. And the (laughs) last third was this building. Like when I think about reading The Goldfinch, I get this sense of dread. Not because like, oh my gosh, I hated that book. I never want to go back. But because his bad choices were escalating and he was getting deeper and deeper into a situation he was not going to be able to extricate himself from gracefully. And you knew that it had to stop and it was going to be ugly. And you were just waiting to see how it all fell apart. See,
1: And I I think I don't, I just don't have tolerance for those types of storylines. I'm like, why are you making these dumb decisions in the first place? Like, come on, get your act together. (laughs) Which
0: is why you can appreciate it. And not like hot. it. This did give me sympathy for the book. So, and made me feel like I could understand it. Something I read in a Donna Tart interview did give me a window into how to approach the book in a way where I could actually appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And that was, she referred to this at one point as being her response to 9 11, which. I think I've heard that before. Yeah, which I could really see. Like something uh-huh. horrible happens mm-hmm. okay. um, on a large scale. It's a mess, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Everything is broken, but you have to move forward. And how? And I don't mean like you have to move forward, like and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, find hope, because that's not what happens in the Goldfinch. But like the world goes on, but irredeemably changed.
1: Yeah, it's just never, it's never the same. Like the the world goes on, but you're not the same. Yeah.
0: So that did give me some sense of it. But like if you want a feel good novel or if you want uplifting, fiction or redemption stories or, you know, books that make you feel like the world is going to be a great place in the end. Like, this is not, this is not it, which I think is why a lot of people don't like it.
1: Yeah. See, I don't, I don't think I mind reading stories about like tragedy and difficult circumstances and people going through really hard times. But the, the point for me where it gets kind of like, like, I just don't have, like, I don't have tolerance for it is when it's your own choices. Even if something bad happens to you, you like, like the, you know, all the books that are set in World War II, right? There've been tons of those lately. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, you read through them and horrible things happen. And there's always a point where a person makes a choice of how they respond. And so when, when the horrible things happen and the person makes a choice to respond to just like give in and be like, woe is me. I'm such a victim. I can never do anything different in my life. And now I'm going to go ruin my life by doing all these things because this one thing happened. I'm like, really? Come on now. And maybe that's just the point of the author. They want to, like you said, make creative artistic whatever but i don't know i just have a hard time jamie what are you reading right now okay i just finished upon last mm, two weeks or so uh the gilded years what makes love cross another (laughs) one off my list of books okay Okay,
0: seriously i only have a dozen (laughs) books written down before we started talking that i thought you might like but that's too (laughs) cross through so far
1: i didn't know that book was actually based on like like fact And I was reading it and I was like, oh, this would be a fascinating like real life thing because it says it's on the beginning, you know, the disclaimer, this book is blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out it's actually like a real person. And I was like, oh, that's cool.
0: I didn't know why you liked your favorites before we started talking about it today, but I did see your favorites in advance, bringing abstract things to life did seem to be a theme for you. So, and I thought the Gilded Years did that really well. Okay. Now we have to talk about it. So the Gilded okay. Years it's by Karen. Tan- <laughs> I think it's Tanabi, but I'm not positive. Yeah. It's yeah. her fictionalized account of the first African American woman who graduated from Vassar, yeah. which she was able to do that because she passed as white. So just a really interesting story mm-hmm. of how, how that happened. Yeah. Okay. What else are you reading?
1: Uh, I read What Makes Love Last, which mm-hmm. is kind of one of the follow-up books by John Gottman to The Seven Principles That Make Marriage Work. I like I him. Think. Um, Okay. And then I Am Second, which is a collection of short essays. The Prize Winner of Defiance, Ohio mm-hmm. by Terry Ryan, which mm-hmm. is, was a lot of fun. I like that one. And then um, The Ideal Team Player, which is Patrick Lencioni's newest book.
0: Okay. I yeah. still have some ideas for you left and a whole lot of notes. I scrawled an index card here. So, um, yeah, okay. I have ideas for you. Did you hear me snap my desk emphatically? Okay. <laughs>
1: So, my kid, my kids and my husband are in the garage waiting to come inside. Isn't that funny?
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I have ideas for you. We'll get to them right after the break. Jamie, welcome back. Thank you. Okay. You ready to talk about your books? Break it down?
1: <gasps> yes, I'm ready.
0: Okay. So I love your choices and not just because they're all over the map, but they are all over the map. <laughs>
1: yeah, they are.
0: <laughs> so we have these Masterpiece might be a little over the top, but Ken mm-hmm. Follett writes historical fiction like nobody's yeah, business. So,
1: true.
0: yes, so he brings this old dead story to vivid life, sweeping family saga, history comes alive. That's what we've got going on with your pick one.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, book two, yeah. Columbine, mm-hmm. is about a
1: little, a little different, <laughs> <laughs> just slightly, just a little bit, oh, and man. Yes,
0: It's about explaining what really happened and what it was really like and why Mm -hmm. and what it means for you. And in the same vein, Border Odyssey is another, I think, explicit attempt on the part of the author to show you that any ideas you may have cobbled together about what it's like along the border are -hmm. wrong. And here's Mm -hmm. an insight into what it's really like. So this Mm -hmm. what it's really like is a thing for you, I think.
1: I think so. That matches up with my, just kind of how I view life in general. (laughs) That's really funny.
0: I think it's healthy Uh, that that's reflected in your reading and probably not a coincidence that you're really enjoying your reading life. If you've found, you know, apparently you've hit on ways, of course, you're only sharing your favorites, not the total duds with me, but you found ways to find books that really do it for you.
1: And that's great. I actually made a list of total duds on my website.
0: Oh, that's so so fun. Can we get a blog post?
1: Absolutely. Okay. And I made, and and I broke the rules and made a list of all my favorites in all my je- different genres I read. So
0: you are not bound by the, what should I read next podcast <laughs> rules on your blog? <laughs> and I'm delighted you wrote that and we will find it and put it in show notes.
1: <laughs> ah, that's really funny. Thank you for
0: freeing me from that. <laughs> you can be your own reading boss. Perfect. Okay. Done. <laughs> Book one, I want to fulfill your holiday novel request.
1: Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yay. Okay. Good.
0: We are going with Winter Solstice by Rosamond Pilcher. And I don't want to tell you too much because I am a firm believer that for 92% of books and the 8% are a really strong exception, which makes you think it's a good idea to do this, but don't do it. Um, the more you explain what the book is about, the worse it sounds. So I think that's totally true for this one. Um, Rosamond Pilcher writes... Giant doorstop novels, family saga kind of feel to them. This one is seven hundred pages in
1: paperback. Right? Oh my gosh. Ooh, okay.
0: So here's here's what I'm gonna tell you because it's not gonna be much. I just want you okay. to pick it pick it up, start well how about I want you to. I didn't mean to say that. What I meant you, was you I would encourage this. you <laughs> okay. to not spend a lot of time reading reviews. Don't okay. dive too deep into the, the flap copy, just pick it up and start reading. Okay. Okay. So she has written for, I mean, she's written a ton of books, British author who was cranking them out for a period of time, uh, kind of similar, similar to Maeve Benji, if you know anything about her. Yeah. 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 So, um, she's written four novels for the four seasons and this is her winter installment. Um, so family story, love, loss, redemption. Um, it's been called the perfect Christmas story because it's, um, It's real love in the sense, not like, not the kind that you sing about in like 80s pop songs, but like (laughs) actual, not all rainbows and unicorns, like actual Mm -hmm. real love um, that does involve love and loss, but also is very, uh, very hopeful. It's a redemption story in the end. It's a great read for this time of year when Christmas is over. That's fine. But if it was cold out while you were reading this, even in Tijuana, Mexico, that does happen. Um, <laughs> does happen. That is we get, time we usually get colder in
1: like January, February. So we, I have a few months to to get through it. So we're good.
0: This would be a wonderful read that time of year. And I also need to warn you. The new, the newer cover on this is lovely. There's like a little red bird in the tree on a branch against the snow. But the older covers for this and all her books, like The Shell Seekers, is the worst offender.
1: Oh, I tried reading The Shell Seekers. Okay, yeah, okay, gotcha.
0: Yeah, the covers are awful.
1: Just okay, really, really bad. They look like yeah, that one looked like some weird, like horrible art that you'd find on like a beach house somewhere. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: totally, totally yeah. that. It looks like um, cheesy, mass-produced. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was paid by the word. So don't worry about it. Just pick okay. it up and get started. We are going to keep going with another big fat book for you. Okay. Okay. Um, in the vein of, you know, because, because writers talk like that in the vein mm-hmm. of, it's a tribute <laughs> to, um, Ken Follett. We are going with Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. What do you know about this?
1: I don't think I've ever heard of her, her, sorry. She, she an author, her or the title? <laughs> Hillary, yes, that would be a lady. Well, no, I'm I've
0: glad heard. to introduce you to her. Okay, and yeah. funny thing. So, when I saw Ken Follett, of course, immediately I start thinking of great historical fiction, and this definitely counts as great historical fiction. But I was at a local event last night with Colson Whitehead, and I can't, who wrote The Underground Railroad? Like, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. the yes. book of yes. the fall. And I wish I could remember why, but he was just tossing. A, it was an interview set up and he was asked a question about like great contemporary, uh, things super authentic and true to history. And he turned the Underground Railroad into like the subway. So yeah, he was sure. pointing out that they are different kinds <laughs> of historical fiction that he and Hillary Mantel are writing. But I was really... You know, like the guy who wrote the book of the year is telling everybody to read Wolf Hall. So that's not the only reason I like it for you, but it sure doesn't hurt. Yeah. So this is actually two books in one. So if you love it, you're set for like almost 2000 pages, Um, Wolf Hall. And then book two is Bring Up the Bodies. I don't want to get too much into the history of this because Hilary Mantel does it better than I can. But... This is a big, fat, meticulously researched fictional take on what Tudor England was like in the Cromwell era, and he is one of the more mysterious characters of history. We really didn't know that much about him. I mean, we still don't know that much about him, but she does a solid job of filling in the blanks in a really believable, credible I just want all the words of like facts right now <laughs> um, she does She does a great job of making you be like yes that that sounds that sounds right. So some people, this could be a book that you love or you hate. Like people have strong feelings about this book and it does start slowly. So I want to warn Mm, you, but it's give it a hundred pages, especially because of, because of what you like, it's worth a hundred pages to Mm -hmm. invest in. It was a man booker prize winner, not convincing necessarily for if you want to pick up a book or not, but it doesn't hurt to know that people thought the writing was really good. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's also a really pretty book. Bright red looks good on your shelves. (laughs) <laughs> Although maybe just for the three weeks you have it from the library, but that certainly never hurts. <laughs> how does that Is sound?
1: Um, that sounds good. I especially like that. It has a sequel. Is it a, a sequel in the sense where it's the same characters or does a sequel in the sense of like how Ken Follett has like his sequel was more like the same village, but generations later.
0: No, um, it's the continuing story.
1: Okay. I like that. Better. So much
0: so that some people refer to them only as a unit.
1: I like that. And has it, was, has it been, was it written recently or is it this one that's been out for a while?
0: Oh, no, it's definitely not 10 years old yet. More like six or oh. seven, I think.
1: Okay. As long as it isn't super recent, I think the library will have it. So that's good. Sometimes they, they take, a, I actually have a book on hold and it says in this, like the notes on, on, on order to be purchased. And I'm like number 12 in line.
0: <laughs> so. <laughs> so first you have to wait for the pub date and exactly. then you have to wait your turn. No, I am trying to find books for you that you can get. Across the border. Yeah. I mean, okay, the one very specific place across the border where you get yes. your books. That's probably <laughs> Thank important you. to, to Thank clarify. You. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Book three. Can you tell I'm afraid to pick nonfiction for you? I feel like only you know what you're going to nerd out about. But, I like nonfiction, but I'm trying though. to walk the I'm... line. I'm glad you like nonfiction. But I'm going to leave it to you because apparently uh... you're taking care of yourself. Okay. But, okay. but I'm walking the line between fiction and fact. Okay. Book three. What do you know about Girl Waits with Gun by Amy Stewart?
1: I have read about those books, and I they're intriguing to me, but I kind of was like, hmm, I think I need to learn a little bit more about them before I put them on the treasured hold list.
0: Okay, so Amy Stewart, who previously was best known for science writing, like The Drunken Botanist, um, really interesting, fascinating, chatty looks at things you never knew that you couldn't go on living without knowing about. Have you read The Drunken Botanist, actually?
1: I don't think so. Okay,
0: joint pick, because there's your nonfiction. Okay. <laughs> awesome. uh, in Girl Waits with Guns, she pivots a little, and she, is, she draws inspiration from the true story of Constance Cop, who was one of the first female sheriffs in America in New Jersey. So from our perch in, you know, 21st century America and Mexico, we know historically like, Oh, you know, there was a first female, this and a first female. that. Mm -hmm. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how that happened or what that person Mm. was like, or what the circumstances were that caused a particular individual to step up into that role for the first time ever. And, in Girl Weights with Gun, Amy Stewart does that for you. She tells the story of Constance Cop, which is kind of funny. Like Malcolm Gladwell says that people named Denise and Dennis grow up to be dentists. Constance Cop <laughs> became a sheriff. It's K O P P, but still. Um, <laughs> so funny. she explores how that happened. Yeah. And yeah, there's something yeah. about the tone in Girl Weights with Gun that just rang completely true to me. Um, like hmm. it's it's smart, it's spunky. It feels appropriate for what you know about her and her story and her background. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of Hmm. fun. And it has a sequel that came out in September. So you might have to wait from your library, but hopefully not too long. And it is called Lady Cop Makes Trouble.
1: Awesome. Yep. How does that sound? (laughs) When, like, when did this happen in history? Like how, how long ago is the first women, woman cop?
0: So, I just found online that a local New Jersey newspaper reported an event that kicks off the book back in 1914. There was okay. a, a car wreck. Constance cop got into a car accident with a notorious businessman slash shady guy. And of course. <laughs> events were set in motion.
1: Okay. That's really 1948. That okay. That you mentioned her because I'm reading a book right now called... American America's Women: Four Hundred Years of Dolls, Drudges, Helpmates, and Heroines. And each chapter is a like a a portion of American history. So I wonder. I'm just finishing out the the chapter about the Civil War. Oh, and, I wonder. Uh, and so I wonder if her name is going to come up in there. And it's interesting you talk about the first women we don't think about who was the first woman or the first whatever to do this. And that book talks a lot about through the Civil War and even the Revolutionary War how women there was still the soci- societal expectation. On them, while the reality was the complete opposite. So, for example, for in the South and during the Civil War, women were still expected to be very dependent on men and kind of passive and almost weak and helpless, while in reality they were running their plantations. They were the ones, you know, signing. They had to sign every banknote for the Confederate money. It had to be hand-signed. So they were signing everything in the Treasury. They were being the ones who were bringing supplies to the to the battle sites. They were the nurses, they were all these things, but yet they still had this, I mean, the letters, right? The letter letters are hilarious, right? You read them and you're like, do people really like <laughs> talk like that? Like, this is amazing. But you know, men are saying, I wish that you would not work so well. It's like very convoluted backwards manipulative, like talking, basically saying, don't work so hard, be a woman. Well, it's like, well, if they didn't do that, like society would literally disintegrate. So I wonder if, if that comes up, because I find that interest, interesting, that tension between the reality of what just women had to do versus the expectation of how they were supposed to be, uh, which I think is really interesting, that, the tension there.
0: Well, see, Jamie, you bring the nonfiction and I'll bring the fiction. <laughs> okay, Both good. address those issues in space. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So, Jamie, of those three titles, what do you think
1: you'll read next? I think I might go with winter solstice or Wolf Hall simply because I've kind of, I'm kind of coming off of a nonfiction, um, string of books. And so I think I need something that can kind of carry me into the winter season and be a good story to carry me away.
0: (laughs) Those are great winter novels. I could see you reading or me reading Amy Stewart on the sofa by the fire or at the swimming pool. But the same does not go for winter solstice
1: <laughs> by the swimming pool. That's funny. Um, well at least, well, no, no go there. Um, but sometimes I feel like when I get in the middle of a really heavy book, whether it's just like a really, um, uh, long story or just something very technical, I need like a breather in the middle. So it might be that I get part of the way through one, pick up another one, finish that and feel like I accomplished something and then go back and revisit it. So I might, I might be spinning two or three books at one time here. We'll see.
0: That sounds good. And don't and forget de- about the drunken botanist when you need an oh. awesome break.
1: <laughs> Thank you. And it all depends on what the library wants to give me first. So we'll see.
0: The library has power like that with a lot of our It
1: listeners. does. It totally does. And I, I just put a bunch of more Christmas books on hold. We're doing like under the tree advent for our kids. And I was like having to like weed out. And then I have books on hold for my husband and I have books on hold that I'm number 386 in line. And I'm like, well, I can't get rid of that spot because I'm up, you know, 600 spots than I was last week or whatever. So anyways, it's just, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard,
0: but I think you're up to the challenge.
1: I am. I'm excited.
0: Okay. Jamie, thanks so much for talking books with me today.
1: Thank you so much. It was so much fun.
0: Hey readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jamie today. Please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Jamie should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 58. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Anne Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Anne Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. And don't forget to sign up for the 2017 Modern Mrs. Darcy Reading Challenge at modernmrsdarcy.com slash challenge. It's free and easy, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, Ah! how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.